Interwomic Ministries presents part one in Grace, the Power of the Gospel, a six-part series. This teaching by Andrew was titled, The Gospel of Grace. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Today, I'm very excited to start a brand new series where I'm teaching through the book of Romans. I tell you, this is one of my favorite things to teach. These truths have literally transformed my life, and I believe that this is going to do the same thing for you. You know, 1968 is when the Lord touched my life, and just shortly, after I had this miraculous encounter with the Lord, I was at a meeting, and I heard a man say that if you could ever understand the first eight chapters, of the book of Romans. That it would just transform your life. And I took that as a challenge. And I began to start reading the book of Romans. And I'd say for the first 15 years, that I really studied the book of Romans that I struggled with it. And the reason is because the book of Romans is Paul's masterpiece on the grace of God. And it is completely contrary to a legalistic performance-based religion. And that's what I was raised in. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 verse 13 that the traditions and doctrines of men make the word of God of none effect. And the book of Romans, specifically this teaching on the grace of God and our liberty in Christ, was so different than what I'd been taught that my traditions and doctrines of men were canceling out the great truths of the book of Romans. But I just kept studying it and I'd say after 10 to 15 years I began to start getting revelation. I'm still getting revelation. It's not like I've got everything figured out, but I have now come to a place where the book of Romans is 
is one of the favorite things that God has shown me. I mean, it is just powerful. You can't read the book of Romans. And without just falling in love with God. If you understand it, if your traditions and doctrines of man aren't negating these truths, it will make you fall in love with God for the great things that he's done and how that he relates to you not based on your performance. So I want to encourage you. Some of you may not even realize that you have a performance-based relationship, that you are really uh, under guilt and condemnation. Feeling unworthy because you are allowing Satan to condemn you over your failures. You may not even realize this, but as we go through the book of Romans, I guarantee you this will revolutionize your life. So in the very first verse of the book of Romans, it shows you that Paul is the author. In verse 1 it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And, you know, just for time's sake, I'm going to dispense with some of this. Some of it is introduction. He's talking about who he is, where his authority came from. He also said in verse... Um, Eight, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Man, what a great statement about the people here in Rome. Did you know Paul didn't minister specifically to these people? Matter of fact, he says right here in his introductory remarks, that he had been hindered from coming unto them. He had wanted to go there. He had wanted to preach the gospel. He had wanted to go to Rome. Which was the capital of the Roman Empire. The center of all of the activity going on. But he said, I was much hindered. Over in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, he explains that what that hindrance was. He 
He just had so many people to reach. And so many people, so many opportunities that he was just being faithful where he was. But he says now that he had preached the gospel to all the people that were in Asia. He was ready to go to Rome. As it turned out, he didn't go there voluntarily. Or he didn't go there, you know, just on his own, but he wound up being arrested in Jerusalem. And he spent two years in prison in the land of Judea, and then he was in transit to the to Rome as a prisoner. He got shipwrecked on the island of Melita. And then he eventually wound up in Rome as a prisoner. And he stayed as a prisoner in Rome for two years. So he did eventually make it. But here, but when he writes this uh, book of Romans, he hadn't been to these people yet, but he had heard about them. Their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. That's awesome. And so he says in verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you might be established. You know, I'm skipping through a lot of things. There's great truths in all of these things, but I'm wanting to get to the core. To the heart of what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans, but you know, as we go through these scriptures, let me just mention that this shows that you can impart spiritual gifts to other people. You can literally uh, take what God has given you and you can impart it. To other people. This is what's behind laying on of hands when you ordain a person. It's not just a religious formality. See that you go through a ritual, but you can literally transfer things. You can lay hands on people and you can release the power and the anointing of God. There's many examples of, you know, people just touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Fifth chapter of the book of Mark. 
Makotano. And the power of God flowed and healed this woman with the issue of blood, and she wasn't the only one. Amani gakatonda ne gamu frumamu ne gayingiro mucharo ne yaina indwade yechukuru kuto atenga tiyaliyeka. Who was healed by just touching? the uh, garments of Jesus. Peter, in the book of Acts, he walked by and his shadow would touch people. And they would be healed. And so anyway, you can transmit, you can release this anointing of God. And Paul is saying, I long to be with you so that I could impart unto you some spiritual gift. So that they could be established. And then he says here that um, in verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. You know, we wouldn't use the word barbarian uh, today. But this is just saying that I am a debtor not only to the religious Jews, but I'm a debtor to the people that don't know the Lord. Paul felt a responsibility. And I tell you, this is something that is missing in so many believers today is that they don't feel a responsibility to share their faith. What Paul is expressing here is not just for him, but every one of us needs to recognize that we are a debtor. We have a responsibility. Not only to the people in our church, only to the people in our family or something, but we have a responsibility to share our faith with other people. And I would just like to encourage you today to just pray and ask God to show you if there is some way that you could help. Some person that you work with or maybe the people that you know you go into a convenience store, you buy gasoline or you buy uh, something in there. You could just say or do something that would minister to these people. We have a debt. We have an obligation to do this. And this is what Paul is talking about. So in verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And 
And then in verse 16, to me, is where Paul really gets in to his point in writing this. All of these other things were introductory remarks. They were all important. They're good things. But here in the 16th verse of the first chapter is where the heart of the book of Romans comes out. And this is amazing. In verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, talking about the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. <laughs> Man, that is powerful. But did you know that there's a lot of people today that read these verses and it just doesn't seem to impact them? And a lot of it is because we have made the term gospel. And salvation, religious cliches. And we use it all of the time and we misuse it. We aren't using it the way that Paul talked about it. And so I'm going to spend some time right here just redefining some of these things for you. But when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, this was a radical statement for his day. It's still a radical statement for us today if you understand what the word gospel really means. But the word gospel today has just become something that people apply to anything to do with Christianity. To anything to do with the Bible, with religion. I've actually heard people before get up and say, you know, I actually passed out a track. One time I, I took these tracks and used to pass them out on the streets when I first got turned on to the Lord. And uh, it said, repent or else, turn or burn. And we would pass out these tracks. We had another track that said, What you must do to go to hell. 
and you open it up and it was completely blank on the inside there was nothing katinga wagendo kabikula boti nga munda jobi kudde tewali chintu nachimuchiri ko kakalu and then you turn it to the back page and it says that's right you don't have to do anything you're already a sinner you're headed hell katiwo wa bikule wadda ko nga wakugama anti toina chidala chona cho inza kokola kubanga eroli mononyi era wagenze damugeyena and you know when i first got turned on to the lord i just was modeling uh things the way that i had been taught and this is the way i was raised was you know that i actually had a preacher that would scream and yeah he would stand on the part of the pulpit where you put your bible he would jump up there and bend over and grab the microphone and just scream and yell. Ngasobolo kubuka ye na ngadade wansi baibuli neyewe tamubati na kwa ataka zindalo na soka wogana. You're going to hell. God's gonna if you don't pay your tithes, God's gonna put you in the hospital and take take it out in doctor bills. I know some of you are thinking I'm making these things up, but you couldn't make up stuff like this. I'm telling you, it happened. And they would scream and yell, you're going to hell, you're a sinner, and then they'd say, that's the gospel. Did you know that the word gospel literally means good news? Actually, I believe it's more than that. I actually read a commentary where they were discussing this word gospel. And they said that outside of the Bible, in all of the Greek literature that we have today, there were only two instances where this Greek word that was translated gospel was used outside of the Bible. And the reason for it is because it meant good news, but it literally meant nearly too good to be true news. It was a superlative. It was a hyperbole. It was an exaggeration. It was such a wonderful thing. Go. That they just didn't use the word very much because out in a fallen world, outside of what Jesus has done, there isn't much going on that is just nearly too good to be true news. So this was a word that was specifically, it meant good news, but it meant nearly too good to be true news. 
Ebine byali byogerwa Paulo nti gali maulire malunji na yate gali maulire malunji masukuru mudalo kuba matufu And so Paul says I am not ashamed of this nearly too good to be true news about what Jesus has done Tuvulano Paulo agamantino amaulire gano tegakwa sansonyi kubanga malunji nyo ate masukuru mudala agogera kwecho Kristo chakoze and did you know in Paul's day, there wasn't any good news in the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion had degenerated as a whole. This is a, this is a general statement, but you can see this in the Gospels that the scribes and the Pharisees had become so legalistic that they had even measured how many steps you could take on a Sabbath day. And this is outside of the Bible, but I've actually read commentaries on the essence. The group of people that lived in the Dead Sea, they're the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. That we have found, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, I think it was. And that group of people was so legalistic that they actually refused to have a bowel movement on the Sabbath day because they considered that work. That's amazing, but that is a a historical fact that I mean they just they were so strict, it was so legalistic. There wasn't good news. It was all rules, it was all regulations. It was all condemning. And you know, as we get through these scriptures, I'll show you this in a lot more detail, but the law it never issued a compliment. It was just constantly showing you where you're wrong. You've got to do this, this, and this. And if there was like 10,000 things that you had to do, and if you did 9,999 things correct, the law would never say, way to go, you're nearly there, one more thing and you've got it made. No, the law would never issue a compliment. It would never say anything good about you. The purpose of the law 
was to show you your sin. To show you where you had missed it. And so if you did, if you had 10,000 things to do and you had 9,999 right, the law would say you still missed it. You're ungodly. You missed the mark. There was no such thing as a passing grade. You either made a hundred or you came under the condemnation that you had failed to be everything that God wanted you to be. You know, this is reflected over in James chapter 2, verse 10, where James said, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. And that's basically what the law did. The law never gave anybody any assurance that God had accepted you, that you had a right relationship with God. All the law could do was condemn. That was the purpose of the law. I'm going to share this a lot more as we go through the book of Romans. But this is the system that existed. When Jesus came to this earth, when Paul was ministering, it was this legalistic, performance-based religion. That just constantly showed people that you are failing here, you've done wrong here. And there was no such thing as good news. There was no... Uh, there was no encouragement. In the law, it was all condemnation. And regardless of how much you had done, there was always more that you could do. And because of that, when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of telling people the nearly too good to be true news. That they are already accepted with God. That instead of striving to get someplace, they just uh, are there through what Jesus did, through his actions, not through their actions. Oh, when Paul said that, that was so offensive. To the religious people of his day. 
And let me say that today, it may not be quite as bad as it was with the scribes and the Pharisees, but it's actually the same principle today. Religion today is teaching that you have to keep all of these rules and all of these regulations to be accepted with God. You know, in my meetings often, I'll give a testimony about I saw my son raised from the dead. And I'll say, how many of you believe that God raises people from the dead today. And the people who come to my meetings are by and large, they're spirit-filled people. They believe in the miraculous power of God. They believe that miracles happen today. And I can get nearly 100% of the people to raise their hand and say, Amen, I believe in miracles. And then I'll tell them, I said, and if somebody was to die here today, and if they fell over dead, and if I said, how many of you believe that God can raise him from the dead? And I have them raise their hands. Did you know again, the majority of people will say, yes, we believe it. But then I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for this person. And all of a sudden, people's faith turns to fear. Their excitement turns to dread. And why? Did they quit believing that God had, you know, did they quit believing that God could raise the dead? That God does miracles today? No, they still believe it can happen, but the reason most people would be intimidated and fearful. Well, if I said, all right, you come up here and pray for him, is because they live with a sin consciousness. They live with a sense of I'm unworthy. I know I should have done more. And all of this. You know what that is? That's the law. That's what the law does to you. The law just makes you live. In a constant state of condemnation.
knowing that God could do something but doubting that he will do it because you don't feel worthy. If what I'm saying describes you then you are living under the law. You do not have to be worthy. I tell you, I have had people come up to me by the thousands and they believe that God exists. They believe that God can do a miracle, that he can heal their body or set them free. From whatever the bondage is, they believe that God exists, but the problem is they don't feel worthy. And the truth is, you aren't worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. But the good news, the nearly too good to be true news is that God isn't giving you what you deserve. He's doing it based on what Jesus did and he extends all that he is and all that he has. To you on an unearned, undeserved basis. All you've got to do is humble yourself, quit promoting your own goodness. Proclaiming your own goodness and just receive it as a gift. As it says, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's not something to be earned. It's not a payment. It's a gift. And one of the reasons that so many people are not experiencing the goodness of God in their life is not because they don't believe that God exists, not because they don't believe that He can do something. And set them free in some area, but they just are trying to earn it. And their own conscience condemns them and keeps them from ever really believing. That they're going to receive because they know they aren't worthy. But the gospel, the good news is that you don't have to be worthy. All you got to do is believe and receive or doubt and do without. It's your choice. 
So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he was talking about this nearly too good to be true news. And I guarantee you this was offensive to the religious people of Paul's day. It's offensive to the religious people today who have been taught that unless you do everything just right, God won't bless you. And when a person has been grounded in that, established in that, and you come along and tell them that you can just receive from God by the by the goodness of God. This good news, it offends religious people. Because religious people will sit there and say, so you're saying that all of my good works, the fact that I haven't done this and I don't do this. That it doesn't make me any closer to God. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying God, everything that we receive from him comes through what Jesus did. Now there is still a reason for you to live holy because it takes inroad of Satan. Into your life away. If you, you know, God loves you independent of what you deserve. But that doesn't that doesn't free you up to just go out and live, however, because even though God loves you, there are consequences to your actions. For instance, you could take what I'm saying here about the gospel being the good news that God's, everything that he is and has is available to you on an unearned, undeserved basis. If you were to get that revelation and embrace it and say, man, I'm free. God loves me. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And no longer do I have to perform to earn God's favor. That's absolutely true. But if you took that and said, well, man, so it doesn't matter what I do. I think I'll go rob a bank. Because after all, God loves me and it doesn't matter what whether I'm doing everything right. You go out and rob a bank. God still loves you. But you know what? There's consequences. You will get caught. You will be sentenced. 
And as you sit in your prison cell, you can just experience the love of God because it's unearned. It's undeserved. It's not based on your performance. And you can just have a wonderful time. Fellowshipping with God by grace through faith as you sit in your prison cell. But who wants to do that? Even though God still loves you and it's not based on your performance, there are consequences to your sin. Not only with men, but also with the devil. And so, take this example again that God loves you. But if you took that and go out and just start living in sin, Satan is going to gain an inroad into your life through sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says, Know ye not, that to whom ye yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Even though God's everything that God is is available to us through grace. You still need to live right or Satan is going to get an inroad into your life is what that's saying. You become his servant. And John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Satan is just going to steal, kill, and destroy. He is not out to bless you. If you yield to sin, which is a result of Satan, he's the author of that sin, then he is going to steal, kill, and destroy. If you give him an opportunity, Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. You do not want to do that. But God still loves you. It is not based on your performance. You know, when I say that, again, religious people are very upset because 
It means that all of my self-denial and all of my going to church and reading the Bible and Oriaga mabanange katibye nerekereza byonna okugenda mu kanisa kwengenda buli kasera Bible injisoma sijivamu and not participating in all of these things it didn't make me any more love to God Senyikira mu bino nabili byonna katichoyagala okungama ate ebyo byonna benda tebimfula ate ku kwagala kusukuluma woko eri katonda nedda No it doesn't make God love you any more but it will make you you love God more if you don't have those weights and those hindrances. So I am still believing and preaching that you should live a holy life. But not in order to be accepted with God. God does not accept your holiness. And again, very offensive. Ha, to the religious people because their whole deal is based on holiness. I've had people come up to me before in a prayer line and you know I ask for prayer and then so I just can't understand why God hadn't healed me I fast I pray I study the word I go to church I pay my tithes I do this I do this this why hasn't God healed me Without you realizing it, you just told me why God hadn't healed you. Because you didn't point to what Jesus did for you, you pointed to what you did for Jesus. And you are trusting in your holiness, thinking that somehow or another you're such a good person that you deserve healing. That is the very thing that stops you from being healed because your faith isn't in Jesus, your faith is in yourself. And many of you say, oh yes, my faith is in Jesus. But I also, no, it's either you are trusting in what Jesus did without your goodness. Or you are either trusting in your goodness and that automatically excludes you from what Jesus did. You can't mix the two. In Romans chapter 11, verse 6, it says it's either grace without works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, or it's works without grace. Otherwise, works is no more works. That's just old English for saying it's one of the two, but it's not a combination of the two. 
Olondo lungereza lukade kade Olukulaga antino china kuba Echimu kwebi ebibili na yenga sibibili You cannot say well yes it's what Jesus did But I also have to be holy Toyinza kugama mbuno eh kale nzikiriza wacho kristu Cheyakola na yate na ange nino kubero mtu ukirivu The moment you start adding your holiness to what Jesus did Kastoge zako kugata mbu tukirivu kwecho kristu cheyakola And believe that you've got to do that in order to qualify You have polluted the whole thing. Ilango kilizantia anteke duanango kubako chenko lao kubanga antu kilirachitegeza ntio mazemu ensa echintu chona. See this is what Paul's talking about. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Chinono Paulo chayogira kontinze njiri tenkwasa nsonyi. Of Christ. For it, the gospel. Kubanga understanding that it's not what you do but it's what Jesus did for you and putting your faith 100% in him and what he has done instead of what you are doing for him that is the power of God unto salvation. That's what releases the power of God. Tukirizanti owele duwa nyo mkisa okuita mkisome sewa kuno. Wabango ya gara tusabeko nawe, oboli na HVU zocho na, oboli nombu julizi kwecho katonda chako zo kuita kuprogramu eno. Tukubile koo kunamba za simu zino wa manga. 0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0. Ngambie, eri 0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0. Oba, 0 musamvu musamvu munana, atano mutano, nkaga mutano, nsamvu. Ngambie, 0 musamvu musamvu munana, atano mutano, nkaga mutano, nsamvu. Kuro kwa gala kwa katondo kutaliko komojoli, tuogiru mkisa kwa katonda, Tuogere nkula akulana, ila tuogere ukunye zewa, mulinyari ya mkama fe yesu, uwele duanyo umkisa.